Hi everyone, welcome to the History Respawn Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. Today's episode is an audio rebroadcast of a History Respawn video episode on Never Alone. This episode, which debuted on June 24th, 2015, featured my interview with the game's lead writer, Ishmael Hope. Ishmael and I discussed the storytelling traditions of the Inupak people and the relationship between that storytelling tradition and the Arctic environment. In addition, we also discussed the challenges of presenting indigenous culture in Western media. This is easily one of my favorite episodes of History Respond, and I'm really excited to bring it to the podcast. Before I start the interview, I want to remind you that History Respond is supported by listeners like you. If you enjoy the show, please consider contributing to our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash History Respond. Patrons of History Respond receive behind-the-scenes updates about the series and are able to vote on future episodes of the show. With that out of the way, here's the interview. Welcome to History Respond. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. Today's episode considers Never Alone, the award-winning indie game based on Noonpak folklore. Never Alone tells the story of a girl named Nuna as she searches for the origins of a blizzard that is threatening her village. Our guest on today's show is Ismail Hope, who is a writer and storyteller from Juneau, Alaska, and one of the featured experts in Never Alone's cultural insight videos. Ishmael, thank you for being on the show. Thanks so much. So uh, this is actually the first time uh, that I've interviewed somebody that has actually been a part of the development of the game. So I was wondering if you could take some time and kind of describe how you became involved with this project. I was the, the lead writer, and really that means that I worked most closely with creative director Sean Vesey at, at Eline Media. And we kind of co-wrote that script And I would actually call a third co-writer the actual storyteller, uh, Robert Cleveland Kunuk-Sayuka, who told the story of Kunuk-Sayuka. And um, so I helped the team shape and and find that narrative and and work with it. And uh, basically throughout the process, and, and then a lot of what I wrote um, ended up being in, in the game and, and spoken by uh, James Nugayak, the Nupak narrator, in, in the in the language, and so it was both writing the actual dialogue, but also just the just conceiving and just imagining when it's a complete blank slate. How do we how do we make it happen? And so so that was my role, and how I got started was really as a as a cultural person as a, as a writer. A lot of times we get, as Native people, we get denied creative and intellectual agency. And it's, it's very, it can be very unconscious. And I, I think how that can play out with, is with a thing like this, the people may give the agency the ability and the, the ability to, to discern and to make choices and to intellectually think something through and to be self-conscious and, and conscious of something. Uh, the media often gives that to the video game developers. 
And so they say, it's like they say, well, the Inupiaq culture want to preserve their culture. And so they shared their culture with the team that has the actual intellectual and creative agency. And as we know, you know, when you dig deeper into the game, it was nothing of that sort. We had the team that it was a very deep and close collaboration. And um, part of what, what I was able to, to offer was that choice making, that intellectual and creative uh, ability to just think through how to make a video game work and, and how to do it where at, at every step it reflects the vitality of the voices of our elders. Mm. Yeah, I think that really comes through, and it really feels as though this is something that the Cook Inlet Tribe at Council kind of directed themselves. Uh, I was wondering, I mean, to what extent did the Tribal Council pursue video games as a medium, uh, as, a, as a way to tell their stories? Well, I would say that what really allowed this kind of equal collaboration and is a lot of times when you have a collaboration with a non-mainstream group, an indigenous group, a group of people of color or, or marginalized group, when they're, when they're trying to tell their story and they're in collaboration with, with people, often there will be an unspoken barrier where you can only go so far. And otherwise, it pretty much needs to meet at every level the, what people expect and what they already think they know um, about how other, the stories of the other are told. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we really need to, needed to do was establish that equal creative partnership. And what was amazing was that Cook Inlet Tribal Council, they were the ones that created this team, really, that came forward. Gloria O'Neill, the, the president and CEO of uh, CITC, it was her vision to want to do something innovative. And her interest in doing something kind of cutting edge, but that still celebrates the people. You know, that it's, a, it's an amazing business practice. It's also just amazing and healing for our communities. So she, she was looking with her board, with uh, the organization of CITC. They were really uh, looking for something. And it just happened to be that telling their story telling the tr- a tribal story aligned the best with working with a video game. It aligned the best um, with their goals. And, and so that, that helped so much because they were the ones that had the money. They came forward with the idea and with the vision and they had to be, they had to approve um, along with, with the, the, the leaders at Elan Media you know, that there was a process where they had to um, approve and green light every stage, every milestone is what it's called. And I, I think that's incredible because you can often say that you have an equal collaboration, but it it may not actually, most times that, that doesn't actually happen. Most times it's just only enough is done to show that there's been some kind of interaction and collaboration and so rather than just the you know couple days spent with you know native people you know sort of ethnographic field trip 
then you come back and then they do whatever they want. I mean, that could that that very easily could have been a model, even without the field trip. I mean, there's this, there's some other video games. I mean, actually, I think mm-hmm. all the video games that outside of this particular one um, didn't even have that field trip. <laughs> they just had, you know, people who knows if they even read a book and who knows even if that book was good. Um, and so that's the level of superficiality that you have almost across the board with almost all media yep. whenever they're working with any, any, any yep. kind of native content. And, and this was just a different story. And I think it starts with examining the power relationships. But that's important. We shouldn't fear talking about power. You know, and then when the power is equal, that that creates the best opportunity for that equal yeah. collaboration. And I again, I think that really comes across in this game. Uh, you know, like you said, with so many other borrowings of uh, Native American culture uh, in games or other media, it usually comes off as uh, pastiche. You know, it's uh, mm-hmm. ridiculous. Uh, but this game, it feels very genuine, um, and I yeah. think that's what makes makes it so compelling. And you know, I think what's really interesting to me is the decision to go with video games because I really feel that this game is very strong uh, with the way that it tells the story. Uh, and, and it's a it's a game that seems to draw a lot out of the native culture and the way it tells stories using not only narration but also visuals uh, and sounds. And it seems like that kind of tradition of storytelling uh, really lends itself to to video games. Um, so I was I was wondering, Ishmael, if you could tell me a little bit about the kind of Inupac tradition of storytelling, how they tell stories, why they tell stories, and how do you think that works with this game? What you have in the stories is is a it's non Aristotelian, mm-hmm. and so we're so used to that form. That very particular Western form is 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 so pervasive. It's as if people think that's universal, and anything slightly outside of that is very hard for people to sort of grasp. And so this is it runs its own path, you know, that maybe uh, crosses over to the familiar, but then um, goes into something that's its own framework, you know. And so we we really try to think about what the spirit and character of the people and of our stories are. And and it's really about the people sitting down or laying down in the benches of a kadagi, the community house. And maybe the there's a very, you know, maybe there's not even any fire. You know, it's, it's in darkness maybe at, at nighttime. And they're listening to the mm. stories. They're taken so clearly into a vision you know they talk about how you can taste and you could touch and you could feel and, and you're following the mind's eye of the elder as they're telling the story that's a kind of spirit that i wanted to convey somehow and uh, i talked with sean and sean vesey and talked with the team uh, constantly about and that it's that's the kind of thing that I'd hope to uh, uh, carry across throughout the gameplay. You know, as we talk with the design team, of course, let them do their thing, but also try to share a little bit about what what that is, and let them do their own research where they where they trying to find it on their own, and and 
they were incredibly successful that way. But, you know, so it was really about trying to understand that structure and to, to try to just, you just need time with it mm-hmm. to just let that kind of story structure, that story world sink in. And so we read the direct voices of the, uh, of the elders, not something that's adapted or rewritten or, or Disneyfied or Brothers Grimmified. You know, it was direct from the elder, a direct translation. And so we read aloud those stories, which really, there are so many of those, those stories, so many of the storytellers are among the highest achievement of any body of literature that you'll find anywhere in the world. You know, and when people have their Shakespeare and their James Joyce, they, you know, they kind of find that hard to believe. They just, they kind of entertain you for a little bit when you tell them. But, you know, when you really take the time to respect uh, that mm-hmm. intellectual achievement uh, that the elders provided, you'll be absolutely blown away and amazed. And that's what the team experienced. They experienced that, that, that profound depth and beauty of the stories. And we weren't really able to actually go so completely deep into it. Um, we were able to, what was important for us was we got to make a playable, fun, exciting game. And that's totally okay. But just do it with a, a hint of that breath of the elder's voice where it's, it, the integrity is, is so deep, you know, that even just that hint, hopefully people will, will feel and experience a lot of that comes from the directly quoting the elder, in this case, that Robert Cleveland, and having it in the language, uh, spoken in the language. So even if you don't know the language, you get a sense. It just impacts you. You, you don't even know why. It, it's all those different textures. And then just the, the sound, um, wonderful team, um, and just Dima Veryavka, uh, the art direction, you know, they really took the time to create that mood and character and to understand it um, so that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the art style in particular uh, stood out to me, uh, particularly because it seemed to adapt so much from the, um, the art form uh, Scrimshaw. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could tell us to what extent is it used in storytelling in Inupac culture? Is it something that's very common or is it something that is used on its own without any sort of narration? I have a feeling that people kind of referenced the scrimshaw with with uh, the bone carving. Not uh, Ron Brower tells us not mm-hmm. the, uh, the whale uh, baleen. That's more for tourists is what he says. So they kind of use it as a reference point. So they would just kind of point ah. to different parts. But at the same time, I I think it was more common that they just kind of told the story. There's other games that people tell and and do with. They have a story knife, which is particularly popular with uh, young people um, in Yupik. So that's another Inuit group, more the more southwestern. So they they have it's like they have a game, you know, or or string games where they tell stories with the string games. Mm-hmm. You know, very complicated maneuvers with strings with their their feet and their toes and their fingers and their hands. Very complex where, where there's a story that goes with the string illuminations that they're doing. Um, I'm not completely familiar with all that, but I know that 
yeah, they did illustrate their stories a little bit, but a lot of, seemed like the majority of storytelling was just direct storytelling. Mm, I think the most interesting story element, uh, at least for me, was the importance of uh, weather in the story. And, you know, I think this is kind of a, a story element that a lot of, uh, you know, gamers, uh, regardless of their background, can uh, can relate to, given the fact that the story is kind of driven by this environmental disaster, right? There's this huge blizzard uh, that strikes Nuna's village, village, and she has to try to find yeah. a way to save her village from this environmental disaster. I mean, is this is this kind of presence of weather... Is it a is it a common element uh, in these types of stories, or is it one that you particularly tried to focus on? I would say that one of my teachers, Robert Bringhurst, this genius uh, poet and uh, translator of many of the world uh, classics, including Haida, Native American Haida, Haida stories, he's one of my mentors. I think he describes it really well that Native American mythology it doesn't just doesn't explore the nature of people, the nature of people's relationship to nature, the nature of people, um, relationship to each other or to God. They explore the relationship of nature to nature. And that's part of its internal structure mm-hmm. where um, it's a whole other worldview where it's like it's the stories come directly out of nature. The, the language comes out of nature, the, the spirit and actual in some way, the cell, cellular bonding um, and the physical properties of nature creeps into the language and creeps into the stories, and the consciousness of nature of nature comes out most clearly in those old stories told in the native language. And I, and I think that's a, a concept that's so clear. Uh, to, to native elders, but it, it takes maybe us raised in in Western culture a, a, a lifetime to try to understand. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, but so, but that's what, what what's amazing about that little story. It's a little you know illumination, flowering of the consciousness of whether it is embodied by a, by a, a man that's creating this blizzard. And that's 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 weather personified, mm-hmm. uh, and so they need to go and resolve what that situation is, you know. And through the telling of that story over and over and over again, they get people. I think get a sense of the consciousness of the land where they where they live in. They learn how to be more directly at home where they are, and so I think that was that. Even though it's a it's a simple story, and and Robert Cleveland actually could have gone. You know, he told stories that went on for days, you know, hours and hours and hours. But this was a, you know, a three-pager <laughs> or a 15-minute or a story, which is, you know, just a little haiku of a, of a, a Nubak story that worked for us because it, it was it had on many, many levels something profound to say. It was told by one of the very greatest storytellers ever. But it it was also something that we knew that could be playable because it was it was relatively simple and direct and straightforward. It was an achievable goal mm. to go after and get something, take it mm. back. Or despite the story's brevity, there's quite a bit of nuance in it. I mean, for instance, taking weather as kind of 
not only the game's antagonist, but also as a protagonist. I mean, uh, there's parts of the game where uh, Nuna is struggling with the blizzard, with the wind, uh, but then, then there's other times where the wind actually aids her yeah. uh, in her quest. And um, yeah. similarly, the, uh, uh, the polar bear uh, in the story mm-hmm. uh, goes from being a character that is... Uh, you know, seen as villainous to one that is uh, uh, somewhat sympathetic. Particularly, I remember, uh, I think probably my favorite part of the game is being stranded on ice and how the polar bear deals with that as well as the uh, as Nuna. And I just love that there's so much, uh, so many different angles to the story. So you have much of the media who, I mean, I love that they're paying attention to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, be too critical, but you have much of the media who looks at that at these these things, and and they they're they're stuck in what they think they already know about uh, native cultures and Anubak culture and Eskimo culture, and so a lot of a lot of what this was painted as is man versus the harsh unforgiving terrain of nature, <laughs> which is such a Western concept. I mean, nature is absolutely alive to us and vibrant and beautiful, and it could be very ambivalent, which means at times it could be harsh and unforgiving, yes, but it could also be um, tremendously giving and nurturing and nourishing, and, and you could feel tangibly it's consciousness that you're not alone when when you're out there and so that's something that we talked about a lot actually because i think some of the team initially wanted to just have it be versus nature we're just fighting it um and I, i'm incredibly pleased that the, the the team worked on those those moments where there's not only uh take and push and pull but give yes um and so we talked about another word in many ways that that the weather and the land that that's a whole other character it's its own larger omnipresent immense mysterious but very tangible um character mm. i appreciate that you got that because <laughs> I mean, so even even if we make it come through as clear as we think it is <laughs> you know i mean some, we still get um you know um it still passes by, people by you know yeah yeah, well, I think you know. I mean, if you if you play through the game, uh, it's very hard not to not to get that. And I think mm-hmm. you know, players that I've talked to, friends that have played the game, they also really appreciate the uh, the cultural insight videos, yeah. uh, and especially how those are not simply something that you have to go through the menus to get to, but are also presented to you as options to watch while you're playing the game. Yeah. Um, which I think is a really clever decision. Was that one that, you know, that was a conscious decision on the part of the developers or was it something that came about while the development was going on? It, it was during the development. I really credit uh, Sean Vesey for leading that and um, Amy Ferdine, who for finding all these cultural ambassadors who can really make it happen. I think it was a discovery that the team made. They were looking for something to go deeper because uh, a lot of what we came up with was we want to share our culture. We want to make it. We want to make a captivating video game first, but we also knew that that 
we we wanted to find opportunities to to give a little more um, depth and breadth. And I didn't know how to resolve that. So I there was I had almost nothing to do with figuring that out and deciding. That. <laughs> so it was really Sean and it was really CITC and Amy Ferdine um, for putting that together. Yeah. So. Well, I've got uh, one more question for you, and you know this game has been—it's been praised by the gaming community for being uh, unique, original. Uh, it's won a number of awards, um, but how have people, you know, particularly those involved with the uh, the Tribal Council, how have people in the community how have they received this game? Do you think? that this game has made an impact on them? Do you think that they see video games as a potential medium to tell more stories? Yeah, well, I think in some cases people can be uh, naturally skeptical because they've been burned so many times and, and, and some concern and worry about mass media marketing, how much are they going to miss our culture and how much, you know, how, and all that. So it was, it was always so important to us that, and and something I'd, I'd, I'd personally try to drive to the team constantly is that the voice, the the beauty of the elders, um, and their vision, their framework. That's it. when we had a complete blank slate. You know, I I I knew what the framework the elders were, and I just had to try to communicate that. And it wasn't just me; it was all these cultural ambassadors um, who who were able to to communicate that as well. But mm-hmm. you know, I really tried to drive that. As that's a framework that completely aligns with, you know, a game that we can be proud of, a fun, playable game, something that could make money, which is nothing to sniff at because they had to, they had to put millions of dollars in this. Not, not it, not like a triple A game, but I mean, they had sure. to put their hard earned money in this, um, and to to have, um, make the money back, and then hopefully even more so. I I, I felt that the voice of the elders. Um, uh, totally aligned with all those goals, you know, and I think it's playing out. I think it, 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 it connects to people. It, it feels people want to have some, some breath of fresh air and, and warmth and, and generosity and, and vitality in their experiences. And, and that includes video games, you know? So I, I, I think we, we found that. And I think, for me, the most successful thing is that it's been embraced by the Nubaha elders. They go, which is, ah, fine, that feels so fine. You know, and then many of my most respected elders have have done that, you know, where they, they respond so well and they don't just respond, you know, verbally, and which means the world to me, but many of them have been involved as cultural ambassadors and involved in the actual creation of the game. And so their support um, is the success because otherwise they'd be, they'd be quiet. They mm. wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, call us back. They wouldn't support us. They wouldn't be involved if they didn't, they weren't behind what were they, what we we're doing. And, and so it's them giving themselves uh, to us and us trying to, um, in turn, honor those elders' voices, I think that has made, has created the whole framework for uh, a quality video game that we wanted to make. Mm. 
I hope it I hope it leads to more games. I mean, I, you know, I know you keep saying that this is such a small story. I'm interested in seeing more tales adapted, uh, you know, maybe not just for video games, but elsewhere. Um, and, uh, I really, you know, I hope this is not, uh, the culmination, but just the beginning, uh, of this type of work. Well, they have started the world games initiative. That's something that was launched by Gloria O'Neill, um, Michael Angst, Alan Gershenfeld. So that's, that's the thing that they're currently looking at where, where they're talking. Of course you have to, you know, a lot of things need to fall in place um, to make it happen. You have to have people that are willing to commit that that money and their yes. organization um, to work with you. But there's some very promising things. The one that was announced publicly was Hawaiian, but I I do know, um, though I you know I have to take their lead when it gets announced. But I do do know that there are some uh, very promising other kinds of uh, conversations conversations that are happening as well. So yeah. That that's our that's everyone's hope too is to make more of these and and to try new things. You know, maybe uh, we we lean very heavily on the narrative on this one. You know, maybe uh, you have less narrative and more uh, design and mechanics. You know, that still reflect native mm-hmm. ways of knowing. I don't know. Maybe you have more more narrative, but you have different ways to kind of show how to do it. You know, so we want to yeah experiment and try try some new things um that we feel can be successful well uh ishmael i think that's all the time we have but uh, thank you very much uh for being on the show thanks so much thanks so much mm-hmm.